As a pastor, I'm constantly concerned about how to create connections beyond just the weekend services. And one of the valuable tools that we have found for achieving this at our church is our app powered by Subsplash. It's one thing to have an app. It's another thing to have an app that has the ability to allow your community to access messages, resources, and even give. And Subsplash created that for us. It's become our go-to platform for connecting with our congregation in ways we never could have before. Subsplash is so much more than just a platform or even just an app. It brings people together, empowers giving, and transforms lives. If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to visit their website at subsplash.com. That's S-U-B-S-P-L-A-S-H.com. Subsplash.com. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Simple Faith. My name is Rusty George. As many of you know, I spent the last 20 years of my ministry life at Real Life Church in the Santa Clarita Valley in California. And it was a journey that I never thought I would take. My wife and I grew up in Kansas and Missouri. We met at a small Christian college in Joplin, Missouri. We got married. We moved to Kentucky, took over an incredible job there working as the college pastor and then college and career age, young adults pastor. It had a variety of names. We were there about nine years. And since God was doing something new in our lives, We sensed God was preparing us for something new, a new season, a new place, perhaps as a senior pastor, and we began praying about it. For the last two years of our time in Kentucky, we felt like God was leading us, we just weren't sure where, and then this church in California called us. Gotta be honest with you, never thought I'd live in California. In fact, I used to jokingly tell God, anywhere but Vegas or California. I'm glad I did not say Baghdad. Uh, because this is where I ended up, California. So we loaded up the truck and we moved, not to Beverly, but to Santa Clarita. We had one child at the time. She was nine months old. We moved in in California, took over a church that was about two and a half years old, meeting in a movie theater, and said, here we go, God. The next 20 years was an incredible wild ride of highs and lows, of wonders and crying, and a lot of pain and a lot of joy at what God did, and we got to be a part of it. We were honored to be part of the staff of Real Life, and towards the last few months that we were there, we began praying, God, what is next for us? We sense something is changing. We sense a need to take care of aging parents and getting a little closer to them, and God opened up a new opportunity for us that required us to take a step of faith and move to Texas. Here again, never thought I'd live in Texas. couple reasons. One, because I was born in Oklahoma, and so that means you're an Oklahoma fan, and they don't really get along with Texas fans. But here's the second reason. Because so many people left California for Texas, I would make fun of them as they left. And now, seriously, God, you're calling us to Texas? Well, there's a wonderful group of people out there we've been blessed to get to know over the past few weeks and months, and we're honored to serve at Crossroads Christian Church in Grand Prairie, Texas. But as I wrapped up my final staff meeting at Real Life Church, I was asked by one of our team members, would you share 
five learnings from 20 years at Real Life. Because it's a unique place, it's unique to do ministry in California, and 20 years and while you leave has a bit of a sentimental and nostalgic kind of feel to it that makes you want to remember. So I said, well, I'd be happy to. It'd be very difficult to sum up 20 years and just five points, but I'll do my very best. And I whittled it down to five. And after I was done talking it through these, I had several staff members come up and say, that was so helpful. You really should share that on your podcast. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, boy, this doesn't do anything for me. I was here for kind of a simple way to read my Bible or pray or develop my faith. And, and we definitely have that on here. In fact, the last episode probably will really help you with that. But today, for anybody who is in any kind of leadership or ministry or just trying to live an authentic life, hopefully these five learnings that I received will help you as well. Well, here's number one, and that is, I learned that authenticity trumps style every time. Now, you'd think living in California, it was all about style. And yeah, there were definitely things that I had to up my game on. I remember a time that some people on our team uh, pulled me aside and said, listen, um, we're about to move into the building. There's going to be more people in that room watching you. You're going to be up on a big screen. You need to change your clothes. So what's wrong with my clothes? They look like you're from Kentucky. I'm from Kansas. Yeah, but you lived in Kentucky. No offense to those of you in Kentucky. But I said, okay, what did you have in mind? And they'd already purchased some clothes that I was supposed to wear. So style does matter. I never thought I'd wear makeup, but there were times they'd say, powder your forehead. It's too bright. Okay, okay, okay. But what I learned is the most important thing was authenticity. It didn't matter what clothes I wore or what shiny spots on my forehead I covered up. The reality was people were interested in me being real. I think I learned this very, very quickly uh, after we moved in the new building. We had been living in a rented facility for 10 years. We'd been in a movie theater, we'd used other churches, and we used a high school for the remaining couple of years where our building was being finished. And I remember all the setup and all the teardown and all the things that would go wrong and the mistakes that would happen and the lights that would fall over and that sound system that would go out, the AC that didn't work. And now we're building this building, and I thought, this will do it. Now we're going to move into a perfect setting. All will be great. Thousands and thousands of people will come, and there will be no distractions for people to come to Jesus. Everything will be wonderful. And the first Sunday, we're to move in the new building. We didn't get our building occupancy yet, and we had to sit outside. We couldn't even go in. And I thought, well, okay, so we can't go in, so we're going to make it better. We're going to buy everybody Krispy Kreme donuts. That'll be great. And so even though we're getting this news last minute and everybody's going to show up there and have to sit outside, we're going to give them a Krispy Kreme donut. This will be amazing. They'll think this is the greatest service of all time because of all the excitement and style we put into this. Well, guess what? It rained. Yep. Hadn't rained on a Sunday for the last 10 years, but it rained on this Sunday. And there we sat in the rain with our Krispy Kreme donuts melting in our hands, and I had to teach. I was so disappointed because style had not happened. But what I learned that day was no one came for the style. They came because they loved Jesus. They came because they loved the church. They came because they wanted to 
hear a message that might help them with their life. They wanted authenticity. I've learned over 20 years that no matter how I dress, no matter how fancy the building is, no matter the lights and the smoke, which all help, what matters most is how real you are. Authenticity trumps style every time. Here's the second thing I learned. If you don't ask, they won't do. I mean, people are so self-consumed, ourselves included, myself included, that sometimes we don't connect the dots when we hear people talk about a need that they have. And so it'd be one thing for me to get up on stage every weekend and talk about, boy, we sure do need someone to help us with uh, finishing the children's building. We sure need help with uh, making sure we're funding the missions programs. If I don't get very specific with some people, they just think somebody else will take care of that. And anybody in church world knows asking for money seems like a very difficult thing. But if you work in a nonprofit world, that's just your life. That's what you do. You believe in the mission so much, you have no problem asking for people to help you with that venture. The same thing is true if you're asking for volunteers for a school picnic or a carnival you're trying to put on. Reality is, some people just don't put two and two together and just volunteer. They need to be voluntold. (laughs) It might be helpful for you to go to that person and say, listen, here's the need. Could you be a part of this? I'll give you an example I share often with young pastors. There was a time a few years ago that we wanted to do a special series in January about recovery. And we had an idea to buy this book where somebody talks about their own journey through recovery and give it to everybody who came to church on Christmas Eve. We needed $6,000 for these books, and we didn't have it in the budget. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to go to three different couples in our church and ask them for help. I sat down with them and I said, listen, here's the deal. Here's what we want to do. It's going to cost six grand. I'm going to three couples and asking if you can help. Now, here's what that does. That lets them in on a specific need. It doesn't tell them exactly what they should give, but just asks if they will, and they can do the math on their own. Well, these three couples all gave two grand apiece. We met the need. We gave out the books, and it was an incredible success. So then I took those books when they came in and got three of them for each of these three families. And I wrote a nice note in there and mailed it to them and said, thank you so much. You made this happen. And then I shared that with them publicly when I, when I saw them. But then about a year later, we had another need. We needed to raise about 50 grand to renovate a children's space. And so I went to five different couples and asked if they could help. And one of those couples was one of the couples that helped us with the books. And they did the math on what that would be, and they wrote us a check for $10,000. And I collected the money, and we did the renovation, and it was awesome. And then about six months after we were done renovating, I grabbed this couple that had helped with these last two initiatives, and I took them upstairs to see this renovated kid space. It was packed with kids, and there was lights and um, music, and it was so exciting. And I said, I just wanted you to see what you did. I'll never forget the response of the wife of this couple, she looked at me and she said, what's next? You know, those questions don't come unless it starts with a question for me. Would you help? And I think a lot of us leaders are just hoping people assume the need as opposed to explaining the need and how they could be a part of it. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. 
If you're a church leader and your church does not have an app or your app seems to be a little bit limited, check out subsplash.com as a great resource to really give your app all the horsepower that it needs. You can connect people, you can help them get access to messages, and you can help them set up recurring giving, which is a game changer when it comes to resourcing your ministry, subsplash.com. Okay, back to our episode. I've also had moments where I've messed up royally by asking for a large figure and putting somebody on the spot. But to put somebody in a position where they could help if they feel like the Lord leads them to, with some specificity on exactly what it is that they could be helping with, that usually goes a very long way. And this isn't just about money. It can be volunteering for anything. Just assuming people will get it because we put a slide up in church or mentioned it during the offering isn't enough. you got to go to people and ask. Here's the third learning. Your character determines your success. You know, we've often seen these horrific stories of pastors that make a mess of their life or get in too far over their skis or their success outpaces their character and it just begins to fold like a house of cards. And if the person is well-known, it becomes a documentary and the whole world gets to see the moral failure of this church leader, this pastor, this faith leader. And what I've learned over the last 20 years is sometimes we would hire people who were good workers, who loved Jesus, but they were just not very deep in their faith, meaning they were still so brand new. And much like we see in the parable Jesus tells of throwing seeds out to different types of soil, sometimes it springs up quick and gets choked out even quicker. In a new church, it's so hard to find people to step up and serve or let alone come on staff. And so sometimes you end up hiring people that are less than qualified, but you just need someone to do the job. And what I discovered is some of the difficulties we had on staff was a result of some people that were a lot of talk, a lot of enthusiasm, but not a lot of character. And as a result, they ended up making terrible decisions that impacted their lives, their families, and even the church. And so what I encourage our staff to do is when you're looking to hire somebody, drill down deep and see who they really are. What was the last crisis they had to deal with? How do they manage their relationship with Jesus? Um, How has God been there for them in tough times? See what they've weathered and discover what their character really is because the character will determine their success. Here's the fourth thing. Your identity is not your assignment. The reality is all of us, no matter if you've been at a church for 10 days or 10 years or 20 years, we're all interim. We all hold this position just for a short amount of time and God will use somebody else after we're gone. And so recognize this. Your identity is not just the job that you have. And for a lot of us, we kind of think that. I'm a plumber. I'm a teacher. I'm an athlete. I'm a pastor. But one day, that ends. One day, we're no longer teaching. One day, we retire from plumbing. One day, we're no longer an athlete. And one day, we're no longer the pastor of one particular church. Recognize that your identity is not that assignment. I think about even being here at Real Life. 20 years, you build a lot of relationship and a lot of relational trust. 
I had phone numbers of people in the community in leadership positions I could call up and ask for favors or ask for a cup of coffee or ask for help. I had the trust of a congregation that I'd led for 20 years so that if I made a mistake, they just gave me the benefit of the doubt because I've earned it. And now moving to a new place, I got to start all over with that. And it's a great reminder that the one thing that hasn't changed is my identity is still a child of God. My identity is not the pastor of Real Life Church or the pastor of Crossroads Christian Church. My identity is that I'm a child of God, and that never changes. Here's the last thing. Take it serious. Don't take it personal. I think I'm stealing this phrase from Kerry Newhoff, but take it serious, not personal is something I wish I'd learned early on. Because when people would get mad and leave the church, I took it personal. Now, sometimes it was personal. They said, I don't like you. I don't like your teaching style or whatever it is. But sometimes it's really not about you or me. They got something else going on. I remember one couple in our church that my wife and I got pretty close to, and we thought we were really good friends, and she would always complain, the church service isn't deep enough. It's not deep enough. Well, that word means so many different things. And if you're a pastor listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I began to think, okay, depth. She needs more depth. I'll use more Greek words in my messages. And so I'd parse the Greek and put it up on the screen, and here's what this word means. And then she'd still say, I just need something deeper. I just need something deeper. And eventually they left the church. Now, where did they go? Did they go to a church down the street that was highly exegetical? Did they go to a church that walked, by, or walked through the scriptures verse by verse or spoke in fluent Greek? No. They went to a church that worshiped longer. What she meant was, I need more spiritual excitement in a worship service. That was depth for her, not Greek words. And I took it personal. Now, I can take it serious and say, all right, what does this mean? And we're just not going to be that kind of church. There is that kind of church out there, but this is who we are. But I didn't need to take it personal. I think about another family that left our church, and it hurt me so badly. I actually went into counseling over it. I felt like we were close. I felt like we had a bond, and yet he walked away, took his family with him, and refused to talk to me. It really broke my heart, and I spent a lot of time working through that to figure out where was my identity in all this, and what had I done wrong, and, and I really just came back to this reality of my identity is not in what this person thinks of me, and I should take it serious and figure out if there's things we need to change or tweak, but not take it personal. Because what I later found out was there was stuff going on in this guy's life. He felt like he had shared too much and was embarrassed. And so he went somewhere where no one would know. You see, the issue is rarely the issue. Usually it's something else, something deeper. Over 20 years at Real Life, I watched God do incredible things. I watched him walk us through the baptism of hundreds of people at the beach every single summer. I watched him walk us through difficult seasons of death and pain. I watched him walk us through the highs and lows of ministry. And I just learned that God is faithful through it all. <laughs> I remember a good friend of mine was one of our elders. The day we moved in the building, it's a great day because there's so many people there. It's so much excitement. But then you recognize, now we got to do this again in a week and we got to pay for this thing. 
And I remember after the excitement of the day, I went over to this elder friend of mine, and we hugged and congratulated each other on all that had happened. And I just looked at him and said, are we going to make it? (laughs) And he looked at me and he said, God is bigger than all of this. And he is. He's bigger than your situation. He's bigger than whatever pain you're facing. He's bigger than whatever mountain you think you have to climb. And I hope that some of these learnings have helped you in your journey. Well, next week, we're going to be back with brand new content. We're going to get to hear from a spiritual formation pastor at a church in Kansas City. This great guy by the name of Troy Kennedy, who's just written a book about what it means to follow Jesus. And I found his information to be so refreshing and this book to be so rewarding. So I can't wait for you to join us for that. Make sure you share this with a friend. Maybe you've got a pastor that you want to send this to. Uh, Pass it along and make sure you hit subscribe. And we will see you next week. And as always, keep it simple. Mm